Welcome into Running the Point on Fox Sports Central Alabama and Radio Alabama Sports. Noah Gardner here with you, changing the narrative in the sports talk industry. We are what sports talk should be bold. Once again, if you're watching us on Fox Sports Central Alabama and Radio Alabama Sports Facebook pages, or if you're listening on our audio podcast on demand on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Hey, if you are listening to the audio podcast, I really do encourage you, head over to Facebook, watch it, take a look at the, the, the amount of production that we put into this. Our producer, Top Gun, Terry Sprayberry, puts a lot of effort into it every week editing. So once again, really appreciate the support that we've had for out the, uh, throughout the show since we've started it back in September. It's been awesome, the type of reception that we've had for it. And once again, we really appreciate it. Hit that share button. Hit that like button. That's how you can support it. Hitting the share button is huge because it helps us spread us around. Helps to helps us bring it to your friends on your Facebooks. So make sure you head out there and do that for us. But we'll get started off with this segment of this show. Talking about Auburn's offensive line. And, and look, I wrote Auburn's offensive line off. Completely off. I said, nope. I'm done with them. After Auburn lost to Georgia. I was finished with them. I brought up, I had that, I had that show where I brought up Auburn's recruiting rankings and comparing them to Georgia's and Tennessee's and what they look like. And since then, Auburn's gone up. Tennessee's gone down. I think you can make the argument that Georgia's gone down as well. I think Auburn would much rather be playing Georgia this week than they did in week two because, oh, guess what? Stetson Bennett looks like he can't throw the football. He forgot how to throw the football. Go figure. Auburn wants to move the game earlier in the season, and it backfires. And now you'd much rather be playing them later in the season. I digress. But the offensive line, it's improved tremendously since that Georgia game. And I was wrong. I was wrong to write off the Auburn offensive line so quickly. I remember I brought up all the rankings. I was saying, you know, look, they they got two three-star and low three-star, that is, defensive tackle commits from high school move over to the most important side of the line on the left side of the line. They got a two-star right guard. Obviously, he's an Akron transfer, but still, he's an Akron transfer. And look, they've improved. They played their best game of the season, even after Brandon Council went down, who who has been good this year. Really has shown a lot of improvement as well since that Georgia game. The Akron transfer has been a huge get for Auburn at right guard, and he goes down with injury. Auburn has to put in Keandre Jones. He has a huge game. The offensive line plays great against the most effective pass rush in the SEC. LSU had the most sacks going into Saturday, and Auburn held them to zero. Didn't let him in the backfield. Ran the ball pretty well, too. Gave Tank Bigsby some room to run. Gave Bo Nix all the time in the world. All the time of the world. He could take a math test while he was in the pocket. Didn't have to. Because that guy can run, and that guy threw the football. It was his best game in Auburn in his Auburn career. Best game, period. Ran the ball well, threw the ball well. And that's, that is what you get out of Bo Nix. I don't know if that's his ceiling, but I, I think that is pretty darn close to Bo Nix's ceiling, maybe a little bit more out of the running game and passing game both, but I think that's about 90% to Bo Nix's ceiling right now if you can give him time to throw. Maybe one day he'll develop to the point where offensive line play doesn't have to be as crucial, same with wide receivers, that he'll be able to handle pressure better than he has through his first year and a half as quarterback at Auburn. But here's the thing, eligibility this year, everybody's got another year of eligibility. This year doesn't count against anybody, but Nick still has three years after this. Now, I don't think he's going to take all three years at Auburn, but if he so chooses to take three years, I mean, imagine what this guy's ceiling could look like. And when I'm looking at Bo Nix right now, they give him all the time of the world, and he reaches 
You know, you see what type of potential he has at quarterback. Throws for over 300 yards, has several touchdowns, runs the ball, looks faster than DBs out there. Bo Nix played great. But I'm going to give credit to the Auburn offensive line, and I'm going to give them credit and say that they, they are the reason for Auburn's current and future successes. We all heaped so much discontent, so much anger, so much hostility onto that offensive line after the game against Georgia, and they have improved every game since then. We'll run through some statistics for you about how they shape up in the country. Auburn right now, in that game against LSU, they had its best game of the season in terms of tackles for loss yardage allowed. Odd statistic that you probably don't think about too much, but how many yards is Auburn losing in a game? Obviously, it trims out to be net, but how many yards was Auburn losing on Saturday? And they lost a season low of 12. That's the best mark of the year, and the last time that they had a mark that good, their second best mark of the year, was against Kentucky in game one where they only lost 13 yards. They really haven't been that close to that at any other point this year. And I'm looking at it, and yes, they did have a handful of tackles for loss in the run game, but no sacks once again. And Auburn only lost 12 yards. That's solid. They're staying ahead of the chains. They're keeping the pressure off of Bo Nix. Some more stats about this offensive line. 27th in the nation and tackles for a loss allowed per game at 4.83. It actually went down a little bit this week after they gave up a, a couple at LSU, but still not a ton of yardage. And 38th in the country in sacks allowed per game at two. Let's compare that to last year's offensive line. That was all seniors. This offensive line has four new starters and is still better than last year's offensive line, at least in rushing categories. To compare those numbers to last season, Auburn finished 37th nationally in tackles for loss allowed per game, 5.15. Once again, that's 4.83 of this year to 5.15 of last year. That's 27th to 37th. And this year's not done. It can only get better. I mean, it could get worse when you play Alabama, but I think when you look at Auburn's schedule, Texas A&M gives up 29 points a game on defense. Mississippi State, I don't even know what they're doing right now. It doesn't look like football. And Tennessee as well, giving up nearly 30 points a ball game on defense. When you look at the defenses left on Auburn's schedule, it looks like the, the, the offensive numbers are only going to improve. In terms of sacks last year for Auburn's offensive line, it was pretty good. 18th in the country, 1.38 allowed per game. Bo Nix was good at throwing the ball away last year. He didn't turn the ball over a whole lot either. So that contributes a little bit to that. But once again, this year they're 38th. So maybe not as good in pass protection although we've seen steady improvement in that as games have gone on. Once again, holding LSU to zero sacks this past weekend after facing the most effective pass rush in the SEC. But also, it hasn't really gotten worse than three sacks this year per game, and it trimmed down steadily all the way to this weekend where there's finally been zero. They only give up two against Ole Miss. The Auburn pass protection, I think you're seeing more time for Bo Nix throwing the football. Maybe the defenses just aren't as good. We haven't seen Auburn play Truly a great defense again, and we'll get to see them play Alabama, who has a good defense. I wouldn't say great, but a good defense. We'll see how it looks when they play the Crimson Tide, but this offensive line is going to give them a chance. Auburn plays Alabama tough, and I, I, Auburn's not going to beat Alabama, but Auburn's going to have a chance to stay in that ball game for a while. I've seen some pretty bad Auburn teams stay in some games. 2015, Auburn stayed in the Iron Bowl. 2016, Auburn hung around for at least three quarters. I've seen some bad Auburn teams hang around, and this Auburn team I think has – the talent to at least put up some yards because they showed it last year on the Alabama defense. The offensive line just has to continue to take steps forward 
over these next two games, which is against Mississippi State and Tennessee, who are three and seven each, or not three and seven each. They're they're combined for three and seven. That's their record combined. And it's a real scenario now. We talked about this as a possibility two weeks ago. Auburn's now two two and zero oh over uh, over the last two weeks since we talked about this scenario being possible. And we said Auburn, you know, do they have nine lives left? Is the, is this cat dead? You know, what, what what's going on with the Tigers? Is, is this ship sinking? Are they going to swim? Are they going to sink? Auburn's swimming. Auburn is swing, swimming. Auburn is doing. Auburn is doing all the swimming strokes right now. They are just fine. This cat is alive. It's out of the water. Four and two right now. They're going to beat Mississippi State next week. Five and two. They're going to have loads of confidence going into that Tennessee game where they have all the motivation after losing two years ago to the Volunteers. I'm feeling six and two on the horizon going into the Iron Bowl against Alabama. So a lot of optimism there. And I think it centers around what this offensive line has been able to do. It's helped Tank Bigsby out to be able to run the ball more effectively. I think we saw Auburn's run game take some different steps this past week. I thought we saw a little bit of a reversion to some of the run scheme that we had last year under Gus Malzahn. I mean, we saw some quick huddles for the first time this year. We saw jet sweeps for the first time this year on Saturday. I think things are changing a little bit to fit what this team's good at. And I think they're figuring out, that, oh, hey, this team's good at this team's good at running the football. Maybe we need to run the ball more than we're throwing the ball. And I think things are getting a little bit easier on Bo Nix. Maybe the Gus Malzahn playbook is what Auburn needed this year as opposed to moving into a dramatic pass game that they've gone with uh, so many times this year up until this point. So statistics are showing improvement. Auburn's victories are now an indication of that as well. Two easier games coming up. I'm seeing Iron Bowl 6-2. and two. And once again, the offensive line is the key to current and future successes and future underlined now. Future, because this offensive line's young. This, off- this offensive line's going to get better. They've got defensive guys who moved over to that side of the ball. Guys get another year of eligibility. Those defensive guys who moved over to that side of the ball. Alec Jackson got the offensive helmet sticker this past week. Gus Malzahn said he played his best game of his career. Felt like the offensive line played the best game of the season. Said he could have almost gave the helmet sticker to the entire offensive line like he did for the defensive line. So there is improvement there. And and talk about Alec Jackson specifically and the Tayshawn Manning as well. Two guys that were defensive recruit commits, low three-star defensive tackle commits, they're going to get better because they're going to learn the they're going to learn the position. This is their first year that they've been thrust into a starting role in that offensive line, and they're having to learn on the fly in, in an odd year or two. And I, I think coronavirus and the preseason and some of the rooms they got affected. We don't know for a fact, but maybe the offensive line was one of those units affected. Maybe the defensive line as well. Those two seem to be. At, at points this year, after the Georgia game, you're thinking that those two units are the ones that are furthest behind, but they're also the two units that are making the biggest leaps forward. Defensive line played great on Saturday. Gus Malzahn gave the defensive helmet sticker to the defensive line. And I'm not heaping up all this praise on LSU that they are you know, nearly as good as what they were last year or even going to be an above 500 team this year. But I do think that LSU going into that game, especially after they blew out South Carolina, don't lie, Alabama fans were picking LSU to win, and Auburn fans probably were too. Auburn fans were at least nervous, all right? So don't now retroactively go back and be like, oh, yeah, LSU stinks. They got blown out. A week ago, you were saying that they were very relevant. Now Auburn's relevant. They're one of five teams with a winning record in the SEC. Auburn's every bit as relevant, and it comes down to that offensive line. Back with more of Running the Point here on Fox Sports Central Alabama and Radio Alabama Sports.
back on Running the Point on Fox Sports Central Alabama and Radio Alabama Sports. Noah Gardner here with you. We are what sports talk should be, bold. And now i got a good friend of mine joining us on the show. He's a friend of the program, and he's been with us already, Christian Page of CoverOne.net. Christian, how you doing, my man? Man, I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on, Noah. Christian, we spoke last after, I believe, week one or two in football, or actually, I think it was actually prior to the first week of the football season when Auburn was getting set to take on Kentucky. You gave, you gave us some great analysis about opening up the season in the SEC, and now we've seen more than half of the year. And so I kind of want to get your grade here on Auburn. You cover Auburn closely, considering you live in the Auburn-Opelika area, but you also cover the NFL draft here. So you've got an interesting perspective on collegiate athletics and how it translates to the next level. And so I want to know, I want to see how you grade this Auburn football team after six games. I mean, I guess a couple weeks ago, you would have been looking more at maybe like a D-plus because Auburn could not really find a rhythm whatsoever. You know, the offense was in shambles, in my opinion. The defense was still trying to figure things out. The offensive line, they couldn't even string the same five starters together, at least consistency from start to finish of the game. But you saw a little bit of promise this past weekend versus LSU. So maybe Auburn's in that C-minus range. I'm still, you know, LSU's still trying to figure themselves out. So... Sure, it was a booster as far as, you know, Auburn's trajectory goes for the 2020 season. Is it something to overreact about? Not necessarily, but one thing I did notice, and it was nice to see, because when you see a team struggling, especially out of the gate like that, when there's just a lot of media, a lot of fans, and just a lot of negative chatter, the team looked really engaged on the field, off the field. You know, Gus Malzahn's birthday was on Halloween, October 31st on Saturday. And the team dedicated the game ball to him, which I thought was very cool because the team is still engaged. And that's one thing that you have to look at. If you see a team kind of, you know, going into a negative trajectory, you have to see how that leadership still impacts them. And it seems like the players still have trust, at least in Gus Malzahn and some of those other players around them. Talk to me a little bit about this offensive line because the offensive line – garnered a lot of criticism and rightfully so after that Georgia game I mean they they deserved every bit of what was heaped on them after after week number two I mean and then you look at the recruiting of it and it kind of makes sense but ever since that Georgia game we've seen steady improvement and dare I even say I think we've seen improvement off of last year's offensive line at least in run blocking this unit ranks in the top half of the SEC even the top quarter percentage of the SEC and several rushing statistics it helps when you've got a a guy like Tank Bigsby but still this offensive line definitely seems like it's taking steps forward and it helped the most effective pass rush in the SEC this last Saturday to zero sacks. Yeah, it's definitely been impressive. And like I said, you know, coming into the first couple weeks, and it doesn't help going against Kentucky that, you know, Mark Stoops always has that team really battling hard in the trenches. We know what Georgia's capable of, but maybe that was kind of a reality check. Not necessarily a reality check because Auburn people and Auburn coaches knew what they had in store, lack thereof, with that offensive line. But you know, you kind of have to battle through adversity, see what you have, and see how you overcome it. And Auburn's done a great job with that. Alec Jackson, I think, had his best game at left tackle last week versus LSU. Like you said, limiting a pass rush of LSU and just the talent that they have in that front seven was definitely a good check mark and a good evaluation tool for this team going forward, for this offensive line going forward. You saw a little more consistency from Nick Brahms, who I think, surprisingly, has probably been the biggest surprise in a negative way for this Auburn offensive line being the lone guy that had so much starting experience compared to the rest of the four. 
but you saw him kind of, you know, take that step forward. Um, Tayshawn Manning seems like he's found a little bit of his footing. DeAndre Drone steps in as kind of that, uh, you know, in and out starter, kind of that swing guy on the offensive line, so to speak. And he held his own last week as well. So I think you're seeing more of that com- camaraderie. And like you said, it definitely helps when you have a true freshman would just be the instinct and just the power running style of Tank Bigsby and then getting Sean Shivers back as well because remember he was banged up for a few weeks there so there was not consistency and he's one of the leaders on this Auburn team so maybe having Shivers back to full strength also helped this offensive line kind of retool and get together but the offensive line can carry over how what their performance was versus LSU you have to expect and I always step back and try not to put heavy, large expectations on Auburn. But if this offensive line has found its footing, then you have to think highly of this Auburn team in the next few weeks, even against some of these bigger opponents. We talk a lot on Saturday during the ball game, and then after on Sunday with our reactions. And during the ball game, and I hate to open up this bag, but during the ball game, you and I kind of talked a little bit about how it looked different. And you know, I still think Chad Morris is the one calling the plays, but. The run game looked different, and what I mean by that is we saw some speed sweeps for the first time this year that we really haven't been seeing all year long. We saw Auburn go with a quick huddle where they get under center. We haven't really seen that since last year as well. There looked to be a little bit of a reversion to some of what Gus Malzahn has done in the past. What were your takeaways from Saturday's, not not only play calling, but game planning wise? Yeah, I agree, and I've always been a big proponent of that Bo Nix feels so much more comfortable when he himself can run the football. I watched him his senior year in high school at the state championship game for Pinson Valley when they went on to win the state championship, and that was his bread and butter. You know, he would kind of himself would run to open up the passing game for himself, and so you see a little bit of that. Now, I'm not saying, you know, make Bo improvise and figure out what he has to do, but you saw the read option on the goal line play, and Bo tucked it to the left side of the pylon and scored a touchdown there. You saw him, you know, take two to three seconds and then drop back and then find an avenue to run the football himself. But like you said, just just kind of having that window dressing and that eye candy, it really came to be in this game versus LSU. You saw Eli Stove get more involved. You saw some plays with Anthony Schwartz, Sean Shivers in, in, in the running game, and then Pagiv also being a factor in the passing game, something – that we didn't really see or we've been hoping to see uh, for weeks to come. And so he was more of a factor. So the variety and the diversity of this offense definitely helps them going forward. And I'm with you. It's something a little different of what we've seen the past handful of weeks because we're not seeing Bo Nix pass the ball 35-plus times when they didn't even have to. You're seeing more of that traditional Auburn way where they're going to predicate and primarily run the football first to open up the pass. And you could probably say this was Bo Nix, one of his best games in an Auburn uniform. And it just comes down to how comfortable he was in the pocket and being able to truly play to his style. And whether that was Malzahn taking a step forward and getting more involved in this offense and Morris taking a step back, I'm not sure. But maybe there was some kind of conversation there where, hey, we got to get our quarterback to thrive on what he's good at. Malzahn in the past is pretty good at that. But maybe Morris has now come to see that and then Bo can take that next step as far as maturing as a quarterback because you definitely saw some good things from him, this running offense as a whole, and then the running, uh, or excuse me, the offense as a whole, really take that next step forward. Obviously, the NFL draft is your bread and butter. Has any Auburn player improved their draft stock noticeably throughout this year? 
I mean, I, I don't know if you want to say improved by Seth Williams, but he's kind of checking the boxes of what we expected him to do coming into the year. Maybe there's a little more of a, a concentration when he's trying to catch the football. That was one of the bigger issues last year. You saw him not being able to have that body control near the line of scrimmage, or excuse me, near the boundary, as there are a couple plays last year where he didn't seem to get his speed in, or he had some of those concentration drops. I know he had the fumble there in the end zone where Derek Steenley punched the ball out, so maybe there was some concentration lapse there, but I think that's more of maybe a fluke play or just a, an incredible play by the, the LSU defensive back. But he's kind of the only guy that I really see that's making – I guess a strong name for him as far as the NFL draft goes. Roger McCreary, he's still done his thing. He's one of my favorite guys. I think he's one of your favorite guys as well as far as draft prospects go. Not just Auburn, across the SEC. So I think he's done fine. He had some bumps and bruises in the first few weeks of the season. Some PIs, some very fortunate touchdowns for the opposition. But he's still doing okay. But um, I don't know. I think maybe still a little premature to see, but – with a shortened season, you want to see, you know, these guys' stocks, you know, really rise up in this middle chunk of the season. So right now I don't really see any risers from this Auburn team. Maybe just the expectations of guys like Seth Williams and Roger McCreary are doing exactly what we expected them to do, which is still in that day two, early day three conversation. You know, I'm sure you've seen some of this a little bit, and you're talking about the defensive backfield right now for Auburn. Some people have been saying that this is the most complete defensive backfield. I believe it was Roman Harper who said that on SEC Network, said that this is the most complete defensive backfield in the SEC. Do you give much credence to that? Would you agree with that statement? I mean, I'm not going to disagree with a, a long-term NFL defensive back <laughs> and a, fourth, a former SEC defensive back in Alabama as well, but I mean, there's a lot more consistency. Uh, and when, you know, Christian Tut, from a coverage standpoint, may be your weak spot in that secondary, that's probably not a horrible thing. I know Smoke Monday, depending on, you know, angles and coverage, he could be there as well. But guys like we talked about, Roger McCreary, Damian Sherwood, I think one of the more underrated players uh, in, in college football, not just the SEC, but in college football. Hopefully he comes back to 100% next week. Uh, and then Jalen Simpson, you know, coming in as, Got the redshirt freshman, and he he's made some good strides as well. So I don't want to say maybe they're most complete. That may be more of a black mark on the SEC. I still think Georgia has the upper hand with having a couple cornerbacks that will probably be picked in the top 50 with Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell. Uh, but, I mean, that's a lot of praise for Auburn. I'm not ready to go on board or go on record saying that yet, but that is a good description of this team uh, going forward because they've shown some improvement in just this first half of the season. Last question here before I let you go, and this one, this isn't something that I've heard talked about hardly at all, and Philip Marshall mentioned it during a press conference over this past week, and I thought it was very insightful. I thought it was a great question, and Gus Malzahn said it was too. He mentioned and he pointed out that the SEC only has five teams with a winning record right now. Auburn's one of those five teams, and Auburn's two games above five hundred. Does that change your perception of Auburn this year after all the turbulence and everything does it change your perception that they are among only five teams that have a winning record in this league I mean it I don't know if this like, changes my project uh my perception of it it may just kind of keep it the same because Auburn still hasn't done anything that I mean sure did I expect them to get a you know put 48 points on the board versus an LSU team even though a struggling LSU team no I did not uh and then again I didn't really expect Auburn to win that football game so maybe you know, that kind of changed my perception just a little bit. But I still think that's maybe a little premature. I get it. That is something that you can run with, that you can motivate your team with. But at the end of the day, even if you're one of five teams with a winning record in the SEC, you're still a distant 
from an Alabama, from a Georgia, and even Florida at this point. So, you know, even though that sounds, you know, all fine and dandy and everything for, for maybe Auburn and the football program itself, when you, you know, kind of perceive yourself as one of those top programs in the SEC, I still still think from a tier perspective, the gap's pretty large between Auburn and the rest. Right, and you look at Auburn, it doesn't feel like the status quo has really changed that much for the Tigers. I mean, they, they still finish about fifth or sixth in the league overall every year, it seems like, at least if you're tearing it off, like you were saying. And it doesn't feel like that, that gap has even changed that much. And the positive direction, if it has at all, it may have gone in a little bit of in the negative direction, as you've seen A&M have a, have a much better this year than maybe um, I would have expected or maybe you would have expected. It, it, it seems like they're – LSU has been replaced now by Texas A&M in that tier above Auburn. And Auburn now, with their last four games of the regular season coming up, two of those are against Alabama and A&M. And so we'll, fe- we'll see just how far behind Auburn really is from those teams. And um, it, I understand people thinking that it's it's definitely a, a sizable gap because I think that's where I'm at right now too. But, Christian, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us on today's show. Tell everybody where they can find your stuff. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Noah. You can check everything out as far as content goes on my Twitter page at underscore Christian page, and then check out all the cover1.net stuff at that address right there, cover1.net. We'll have some NFL draft position previews coming up here shortly. And then within the next couple of weeks, since we have the Big Ten in full swing and then the Pac-12 will come up, I'll have a mid-season stock report of some of the NFL draft prospects across the nation. So thank you, Noah, for having me on. I appreciate it, my man. Hope you have a good day. Absolutely. You too. That was Christian Page of Cover1.net. We'll be back with game predictions here on Running the Point. on Running the Point. Noah Gardner here with you on Fox Sports Central Alabama and Radio Alabama Sports. We're having a good time in the studio just like I hope you are listening to us. We're going to wrap up the show here with game predictions and we'll start it off with our exposed pick of the week and I'm feeling like heading out to Big 12 country but first let's go back to what happened last week. LSU Tigers, we got them twice. Auburn's going to win. Auburn's going to beat LSU. We're going to smash the pumpkin. Three straight seasons. Auburn has been in the mix to beat the LSU Tigers. The pumpkin was smashed, and so were LSU hopes this year of improving. LSU's improvement was a mirage, and Auburn taking huge steps forward there as we talked with Christian Page one of five teams in the SEC right now with a winning record. So the Tigers entering into exclusive category there in the SEC or nearly an exclusive category in the SEC with only four games remaining. And they're off this week as they take on Mississippi State. That scenario that we've talked about for Auburn where it looks like they could end up being 6-2 and two going into the Iron Bowl, it gets ever increasingly likely. But back over to the Big 12 with the exposed pick of the week. And we're moving out once again to the Big 12. West Virginia at number 22, Texas, 11 a.m., ABC. After a big win against Oklahoma State last week, this feels like a letdown game for Texas. I picked Texas to beat Oklahoma State last week. It was also one of those where I was like, "Yeah, this really could be an exposed pick of the week because I'm not overly high on Oklahoma State. 
Texas's offense, we know has the talent to pull off wins against the best teams in their league, maybe even some of the best teams in the country. I think the offense is that good with Sam Ellinger at quarterback. But here's the thing about that defense, and this is a very interesting stat to pay attention to in this ball game. Texas has only held one Big 12 opponent to fewer than 30 points in a game this year. While West Virginia has held every single opponent on their schedule to less than 30 points, the Mountaineers boast the second-best scoring defense in the Big 12, only giving up 19.8 points per game. Texas's offense has shown at times this year when it's played some decent teams and even sometimes some not-so-decent teams like TCU – that they're prone to sputter. And when they do sputter, the defense is not good enough to hold anybody. I'm thinking that Texas, their offense coming off that big win against Oklahoma State, I'm picking them to sputter. And that West Virginia's defense is as good as it looks and will be able to help the Mountaineers pull off the outright upset against the 22nd-ranked Texas Longhorns. Moving over to the Big Ten, number 23, Michigan, at number 13, Indiana, 11 a.m., FS1. Indiana's 2-0 start and number 13 ranking is a mirage. It's a mirage. It's fake. It's a farce. It's not real. The Hoosers only averaging 279 yards per game to Michigan's 466.5. Now, look, I like this Indiana team, especially when it comes to basketball. I like the state of Indiana when it comes to athletics. I really do. But, and this program has improved, but I still don't think that it's a top quarter percentage of the Big Ten team. I I just don't think that it's that level yet. I don't think that they're at that level. And I think it serves long. You dig into this team statistically and try to dig into it. They've just been very opportunistic. They have scored touchdowns in the red zone. They have made every opportunity count this year, 2-0. At some point, you start to miss on the breaks. You really do. And they won handily against Rutgers as opposed to the two-point conversion victory against Penn State. But at some point, you begin to lose the breaks. Michigan, on the other hand, hasn't really caught any breaks. They blew out and they beat the breaks off of Minnesota. But they really didn't catch that many breaks against Michigan State. They picked up the yards. They outgained Michigan State. They had over 450 yards of offense. They just didn't convert it and translate it to points. Only came away with 24. I think that Michigan's a more complete team than Indiana, even despite the loss to Michigan State last week. We talk about mediocrity in the Big 12. Look at how the Big 10's got out the gates. Wisconsin and Purdue aren't playing this weekend. You look over at Michigan, they just lost to a team that lost to Rutgers, that lost to the team that Michigan's playing this week. I mean, if we tried to tie this thing up with yarn, we'd be crisscrossed. And I'm looking at this Michigan-Indiana game, and I see a mismatch. Indiana having a hard time running the football. The running game, they're just averse to it. 75 yards per game on the ground, and they also can't defend the run either. 185.5 yards per game given up. And Michigan, well, they have a well-balanced offense. They average over 200 yards on the ground, more than like 250 in the passing game. I think they make things easier for their quarterback, Joe Milton, rather than Indiana's quarterback, Michael Penix. So I like Michigan to win this game. I think they're overall the better team, and I'm not falling for what happened last week against Michigan State. I'm taking the Wolverines in this one, and it is an upset. 
hey, it's the Pac-12 starting way later than everybody else. We'll see how that works out because it has backfired on the Big Ten, who's now has seen teams virtually be eliminated from playoff contention when you talk about Wisconsin. And I don't know how they're going to be able to get in when they have two-plus games canceled. Pac-12, maybe it'll be different. It's opening it up now. Maybe these extra couple weeks that they've had has helped them get through any type of coronavirus issues possible. But Arizona State at number 20, USC, 11 a.m. on Fox. I'm taking USC in this one, 3,500-yard passer, Keaton Slovis. He'll lead USC into Saturday's Pac-12 opener against Arizona State with two of his, or excuse me, three of his top four receivers back with his top two guys bringing back 1,954 receiving yards and 12 touchdowns. Slovis has luxuries at receiver that any team in college football would dream about, minus Alabama, because Alabama's got it too. Those are the only two teams. Honestly, now that Jalen Waddle's down, Alabama probably would take one of these USC receivers. USC, I'm taking them to win this one. I think they're much improved off of their like five and seven year last year. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take uh, USC to win this one against Arizona State. Moving on into the SEC now, Florida at Georgia, the world's largest cocktail party. Number eight, Florida at number five, Georgia, 2.30 p.m. CBS. This is the only really good SEC game this weekend. And for two straight weeks, Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett has struggled. He went nine for 13 with 131 yards and two interceptions against Kentucky. Now, look, I thought Kentucky's pass defense was going to make him struggle, but I didn't think it was going to make him struggle to the point where Georgia would only score 14 points and he would only throw the ball 13 times, 13 pass attempts. And that low of a volume speaks to me that Georgia and the coordinators and Kirby Smart do not have any confidence in this guy to throw the football. They they are avoiding him having to throw the football like the plague. They do not want Stetson Bennett to drop back to pass. Running game's fine, and it's serviceable, but you can't go one-dimensional against teams like Florida and expect to win. You can't. And Florida's bringing an offense along that I do think will be able to find some points against Georgia's defense. Alabama was able to do it. Now Alabama's offense is probably a lot better than Florida's, but Florida's I still think is one of the best in the country with the way Kyle Trask is throwing the football. This feels like the game that Florida wins the SEC East. And several weeks ago, prior to Stetson Bennett showcasing his struggles in his last two ball games against Alabama and Kentucky, we look at Florida almost a month ago and they lose to Texas A&M. And we're thinking, oh, well, this is Georgia's division. Georgia had just got finished cleaning up Auburn. And you think this is Georgia's division again. But now I think Florida has found its way back in as quarterback troubles have creeped in. Finally, the fourth-string quarterback in red and black looks like a fourth-string quarterback. I'm taking Florida to win this one, and I think to take the lead of the SEC East and hold on to it if their defense doesn't blow it. Pac-12, Arizona at Utah, 2.30 p.m. ESPN2. It's hard to gauge some of these Pac-12 schools, especially when some major names at quarterback have left the conference. Utah's dealing with a loss. Arizona lost Khalil Tate. It's tough to replace a quarterback. USC's returning the best quarterback in the Pac-12. And USC, honestly, could steal the league for it. They really could. Like I said, it's a tough year to replace a quarterback. But one of these teams replaced their quarterback with a veteran, and that is Utah. Utah brings in Jake Bentley, the grad transfer, veteran senior quarterback out of South Carolina. The guy's got the experience, and he showcased some good things at South Carolina. We're about to figure out if what he did at South Carolina and some of the shortcomings that South Carolina had, if that was a Jake Bentley issue 
or if that was a South Carolina talent issue, and I'm leaning towards it was a South Carolina talent issue. Now, I'm not saying that Jake Bentley is one of the best quarterbacks in the country, but he's serviceable enough to bridge the gap here for Utah in a year where they have to replace a guy who's been leading them. Arizona, on the other hand, they don't have anybody to fall onto for Khalil Tate. And Khalil Tate had a really down year compared to his career numbers. And Khalil Tate was their offense. That guy passed the ball, ran the ball, and they probably let him catch the ball too. But now they've lost him. And Arizona totally brings back more starters than Utah, but Utah brings it back in more key positions like the offensive line. And then this addition at quarterback with Jake Bentley, I just think they're more complete going into this football game. I like Utah to win this one. Whittingham's a better coach than Kevin Sumlin, and I think that has to account for something going into the first game of this season. It may not be as great as the line suggests, which is sitting at about two touchdowns of 14 points in favor of Utah at the time they were recording this. I like Utah to win this game, though. Maybe by slimmer margins, but I do like the Utes. Big 12 action here, number 14, Oklahoma State at Kansas State, 3 p.m. on Fox. Oklahoma State, once again, we've we've gone over what happened last week, losing to Texas in what very well could have been... It, Oklahoma State still, more than likely, will make the Big 12 title game. This one's important. There's a three-way tie atop the Big 12 right now. Oklahoma State's one loss. Kansas State's one loss after they lost last week as well to West Virginia in a blowout fashion, 37-10. And then Iowa State's one loss. They lost to Oklahoma State earlier in the year. This is going to break that race up. But if Oklahoma State wins, which is who I'm picking in this one, then it comes down to Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Iowa State and Kansas State haven't played yet, and so that'll be some other deciding grounds there. Kansas State can still make their way in to the Big 12 title game, but then you have to siphon through all the two-loss teams at that point if Kansas State were to go on and beat Iowa State at that point later on in the year. So the Big 12, it's a mess after Texas beat Oklahoma State last week, but I think something does right here, and I think Oklahoma State does still assert themselves atop of the Big 12. They're no longer a playoff contender. I think the Big 12 has all but eliminated themselves from that category, but I like Oklahoma State in this one. Kansas State only scored 10 points last week against the second-best defense in the Big 12 last week. That was West Virginia. Now they're playing the best defense in the Big 12. And Oklahoma State, who's only giving up just shy of 18 points a game. It's 17 points uh, per ball game, 17.8 that is. Kansas State, they're going to struggle to find points. And I think Oklahoma State's just going to be able to ride Chuba Hubbard and that offense to victory. So I'm going to take Oklahoma State in this one, and they get back into first place in the Big 12. And alone, that is. Texas A&M at South Carolina, 6 p.m. ESPN. Texas A&M, so I'm going to take to win this one on a week-to-week basis. The Aggies continue to avoid the pickfall game. Every week, it seems like I'm picking them to to be the accident-prone team that I pegged them as at the beginning of the year, but they have avoided the accidents. I thought they were going to lose to Arkansas last week. I thought that Arkansas was going to be able to force them into turnovers, and what is this? Texas A&M has avoided them. Now, watch me saying all this and them still lose to South Carolina this week, but I like how Kellamon's playing. He's only got two interceptions this year. He has thrown the ball really well. I mean, he's been very sharp. I don't think we've seen Kellen Mond in this A&M offense really miss a beat. Isaiah Spiller, at running back, he's the most explosive running back in the SEC this year, statistically speaking. He's get, he's averaging a league best 6.02 yards per carry. I like A&M to win this ballgame over South Carolina because of the weapons. I just think South Carolina, the way they lost to LSU, just kind of showcased that maybe even their victory over Auburn was a mirage. Maybe it was more about Auburn than about South Carolina, and that would that would definitely make sense after the amount of turnovers that Auburn had against South Carolina, which was three interceptions that set up short fields for South Carolina. I don't know if I don't know if Texas A&M is going to give them those short fields. I think Texas A&M is going to make South Carolina have to work for this. So I'm going to go with the Aggies in this one, and I think they, they I think they win by a couple of touchdowns. 
ACC this going into the year when we got the schedule Clemson Notre Dame was going to be the biggest matchup of the league and now that North Carolina's falling apart losing to Virginia last week North Carolina was a team that I was high up on going into the year and it's hard not to be when you look at the experience that they have but they've fallen apart this regardless of what happens in this game it still should be Clemson Notre Dame in the ACC title game this is ACC title game part one but this is huge for playoff implications absolutely huge Trevor Lawrence not playing in this ball game. DJ Uyagalale, I hope I got that correct. I think I did. DJ Uyagalale, say that five times fast. I think Uyagalale and Clemson still edge out Notre Dame, but this one's important because if Notre Dame wins this ball game, takes advantage of the opportunity that once Heisman front runner Trevor Lawrence, he's definitely in the Heisman front running pack alongside Mac Jones. Now that Trevor Lawrence is gone, if Notre Dame can take advantage of that and win this game, let's say they lose a close one in the ACC title game, Notre Dame may slip in as that fourth team in the playoff picture, which this is the year where we are looking for that fourth team. Where are they? They're playing hide-and-seek right now. You'd think that somebody would want that fourth playoff spot. Nobody wants to play Alabama or Clemson this year. They don't want to face those wide receivers. And so when I'm looking at this ball game, I'm looking at, how does Notre Dame lose it if they do lose it? I mean, if Notre Dame comes out here and win, I mean, the ACC championship game becomes even more important for the playoff picture to possibly see two ACC teams. And for all this time, we thought it was going to be the SEC get two in, and it may be the ACC this year. And then going back to that game that we were talking about prior with Texas A&M and South Carolina, A&M is a one-loss team and won't have to play in the SEC title game if Alabama wins out. Could A&M be that fourth team? And so it's going to get really interesting at the end of the year when we get to conference championship season. I like Clemson in this one, though. Uyagalale looked good. He showcased his talent. Definitely showcased why he is the successor to Trevor Lawrence. It took him a little while to unlock Boston College, but once they did, it kind of looked like old Clemson again. We'll see if it takes him that long against Notre Dame. Notre Dame has been slow in ballgames. I mean, Georgia Tech was trying to hang with them. There's been many times where we've seen Notre Dame struggle out the gates. So Clemson-Notre Dame, I think it's going to be tight, but I'm going to trust in the star power at Clemson. And now they've had a, a week to kind of figure out what things look like without Trevor Lawrence and some other guys who have been missing. I think Clemson does win this ballgame. Pac-12, once again, and this is the best Pac-12 matchup of the weekend. Stanford at number 12, Oregon, 6.30 p.m., ABC. Biggest hurdle facing Oregon is finding a way to replace Justin Herbert at quarterback. I think Oregon is one of the teams in the league that I would put in a category that I trust to replace their quarterback, but nobody's going to get the production that they got from Justin Herbert. Nobody's going to provide that for the Ducks. But here's the thing. Oregon doesn't have to have that production. Their defense is the best in the Pac-12, bolstered by a great secondary. They don't need an outstanding quarterback this year to still win the Pac-12, especially when they're only playing a seven-game season and there really aren't that many impressive teams in the Pac-12. It really will probably come down to Oregon-USC, which should be a great matchup with Keaton Slovis and those receivers going against Oregon's outstanding secondary and defense. But how will this Oregon offense progress? New quarterback, Mario Cristobal trying to showcase that he's still one of the best coaches in college football, or at least try to prove that he is, because some people have question marks and some people want to put him in that in that category. I know the Pac-12 is a little bit displaced from the rest of what's happening on in college football, but this game's happening at 6.30 p.m. on ABC. This isn't Pac-12 after dark. This is Pac-12 at a normal time, and this is definitely belonging of its primetime slot 
Stanford's coming off a 4-8 and eight season. I don't know if the Cardinal have improved enough to close the gap, but I do think that this is closer than maybe what it would have been last year, or I do think this game is closer than maybe what people are predicting it to be to go into this ballgame just because of the uncertainty of this college football season and the fact that Oregon's having to replace a quarterback, and Stanford is not. Last game here on the docket, Tennessee at Arkansas, 6.30 p.m. SEC Network. I was wrong on the upset pick last week for Arkansas to beat Texas A&M, but I still believe this Arkansas Razorbacks team at 2-3, and three, they're one of the more interesting teams in the SEC. I think they're one of the more fun teams in the SEC to watch because they play with their hearts on their sleeve. They got a chip on their shoulders, and they really are trying to improve, and I think they show every week that they are improving. They're still getting outgunned by the better teams in this league. They got outgunned by Auburn, maybe out-official, some people want to say. They got outgunned by Texas A&M last week. We'll see when they play LSU. We'll see when they play Alabama. They're getting outgunned, and they still will be against Alabama and, and probably LSU as well if Miles Brennan can come back. But this Arkansas team on defense, one of the most opportunistic teams in the country. They've got 13 takeaways on the year. They lead the SEC. I'm very high up on that, that they're able to force these turnovers. After starting the year 2-0 and for Tennessee, they've lost their identity. They don't know who they are. They've got amnesia. Tennessee does not know who they are on the offensive side of the football. They don't know who they should start at quarterback. It's probably Garantano. But Garantano does not guarantee that Tennessee is going to score points. I think Arkansas's defense is going to give them fits. They're going to still make mistakes. This Tennessee team is struggling right now on that side of the ball, and that's not going to be good enough. I like Arkansas on this one. This just feels like the kind of game... This, is, this, this, this game is a precipice game for these two teams. They're wrestling with each other on the side of a cliff. The team that loses gets thrown off. Arkansas is going to be 2-4 and four at that point, or Tennessee is going to be 2-4 and four at that point. And I think it's going to be hard to recover from that when you look at some of the games still left on these teams' schedule. Tennessee still has to play Florida. Arkansas still has to play Alabama. You can chalk up some more losses there. And then there are still some other iffy games left on the schedule for some of these squads. Tennessee still has to play Texas A&M. There's still a smorgasbord of losses for these two teams, whoever gets thrown off the cliff. But the team that wins has something to build off of into some of the more iffy games left on their schedule and can probably and will have a chance to procure a 5-5 five and five season, which I think Arkansas 100% will be thrilled with a 5-5 five and five season. Tennessee, maybe not as much, but it's not enough to create dissension, I don't think, from Jeremy Pruitt. Now, next year, if things go poorly, yes, there will be dissension. This year, I'm a little disappointed in what I'm seeing from Tennessee just with all that experience that has came back. But Tennessee's proving that maybe experience isn't everything and talent is. And at some point, development runs out and guys are just what they're showing you on the field. And I think that may be where we're getting at with Tennessee right now. I don't want to shut this down. I don't want to call the race too quick on Tennessee. But I'm thinking that Arkansas is going to win this game and possibly push Tennessee over the cliff this year. So that's my pick this weekend. Arkansas taking down Tennessee. And that does it for another edition of Running the Point. I'll be back next week, same time, same place. You know where to find us, everybody, on Radio Alabama Sports and Fox Sports Central Alabama. God bless.